You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. You know, I, I imagine that as we talk about spiritual fitness, you felt a little pressed in on because physical fitness feels that way. It, it takes effort and it's challenging to get into physical shape. And in a similar way, I think that you've probably felt a little bit of a push as we've talked about showing up, stepping up, and fueling up. Uh, but one thing is really important, and we're going to keep coming back to this. Getting into spiritual shape is not something that we do to earn something from God. It is something that we do based on what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, which is why we talk about uh, CrossFit. That's a little play on words to say it's always about Jesus crucified and the love of God in the cross and the grace of God in Jesus. And so as we press in and as we grow as a church and get into a different kind of spiritual shape, we have to realize it's not, about we're, it's not that we're earning something from God. It's that we're responding to what God has already done. So this week, we're wrapping up with uh, watch out, beware the gimmicks. And if you've tried to get in shape, you inevitably have at some time seen an infomercial where there's some sort of fitness product that offers you some sort of gimmick, usually around getting in shape easier than normal. So get in shape, and it will take you half the time and half the effort. And so then you go ahead and buy that piece of equipment, and it ends up dusty in your garage anyway. And a lot of times it doesn't do what it promised to do because it just had a gimmick. It just had a gimmick. One of those things that came out decades ago was, I don't even know what you call that, go back one, was this uh, gyrating hip thing where you're just supposed to be able to stand there and it, it rumbled and it was supposed to like get rid of the fat on your belly. Now I go to the Y and I have never seen one of those there and the reason is it was a gimmick, it didn't work. Rather than leading people to actually get in shape, it actually led them away from getting in shape. Some of you will remember, um, it wasn't a piece of equipment, but it was a routine, the eight-minute abs that came out. And if you just exercise for eight minutes a day, your abs, you'll get a six-pack. Well, then someone's like, well, why eight-minute abs when we can do seven-minute abs? (laughs) And then six-minute abs, and it just kept going. And, you know, I don't hear about seven-minute abs or five-minute abs anymore because it was a gimmick. Uh, Then I remember this one that you've already seen the picture of, Tony Little and the Gazelle. Tony Little, America's fitness instructor. Anybody remember seeing this infomercial on TV? And when it came on, you're like, what is going on? Because that man's legs are so high in the opposite directions, but his head and his perfectly permed hair are just standing still. How does that happen? Well, the amazing thing is Tony Little and the gazelle are still around. It's it's outlasted all the gimmicks, so I guess it really does work. But, But most... Fitness gimmicks don't work. They're just fads that fade away. In a similar way, the Bible warns us about fads and gimmicks that don't actually lead us towards following Jesus, but lead us away from following Jesus. Now, with fitness, after you've tried a gimmick once or twice, you know that they don't work. And you just say, I have to go to the gym and I have to work out hard in order to get in shape and I have to watch what I eat. And you're able to discern what is true and what's really going to help you towards fitness and what's just actually going to lead you away 
from fitness. In a similar way, the Bible talks about gimmicks that lead us away from following Jesus. They promise something, but they do not deliver. And the Bible has this broad category throughout the whole scripture that it calls false teaching. Or teaching that appears to be true, but it's really not. It sells you something, but it's actually empty. And usually those teachings are attractive because of gimmicks. And a lot of times, Christians lack discernment, and they're not able to spot a gimmick from the real thing. And so they think they're going for something that will deliver, a teaching that will deliver, but it ends up actually leading them away from Christ, leading them away from their faith, leading them away from truth. Today, I really want to engage your minds. I'm not going to inspire you as much today. I want to instruct you. And we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures because I really want you to think and I want you to analyze. And I want you to think about what you are being taught both here and elsewhere. I want you to engage and I want to help you discern a gimmick from the real thing. Because there are many gimmicks in the church and many false teachings in the church. That's what Jesus actually says in Matthew 24. He says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And if Jesus is saying that is going to happen in his day, why would it not happen in our day? Notice he doesn't say a few false prophets will rise up and deceive a few. Nor does he say some false prophets will rise up and deceive a few. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive Peter warns a similar thing in 2 Peter chapter 2. He warns that these false prophets and teachers won't be outside of the church. Like, it'll be hard to spot them because their voices will rise up from actually within the church. Peter says, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. There will be many false teachers. They will bring in destructive teachings, and many will fall away because they follow those teachings. So here's a hard question. Are you following a false teacher? Are you hearing a, first, a false teaching? Do you know of a false teacher or do you know of a false teaching? We're warned that if we're not even aware of the category of false teaching, we actually could be slipping into it. We could have been sold a gimmick thinking that it was something of substance and truth when in reality it's leading away from truth. We think it's deepening our relationship with Jesus, but in reality it's leading us away from our relationship with Jesus. See, right now we have access to so many voices that come from the church. You can get on YouTube, you can download podcasts, you can hear sermons from Singapore and Houston. You can hear things from all around the world. Are you hearing true teaching or are you hearing false teaching? Because there's many false teachers and they will deceive many. Have you fallen for a gimmick? Today, I wanna help you 
with discernment with what you're hearing. A couple broad categories that are very helpful are an idea, this idea of orthodoxy and heresy. You, you saw the word that Paul used, or Peter used, heresy. If we can get the next slide up. Orthodoxy simply means correct teaching about the core of Christian beliefs. Now, within the core of Christian beliefs, there is a lot of room. People uh, can debate on how wet you should get during baptism. People debate on how the church should be led, what government structure should exist in the church. People debate on what will the end times look like. But those secondary issues allow us still to be together because we agree on the core issues. We agree on what's orthodox. And what's orthodox and what's so important to get right is the gospel. If you teach something that makes the gospel crumble, it is not orthodox. The gospel is that humans have been separated from God because of their sin. God's love for sinful humanity is expressed through him sending his beloved son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And that beloved son took the full wrath of God on him at the cross. Though he was sinless, he became sin for us on that cross. And if you put your faith in him, the wrath of God is removed from you, and Jesus has paid the full price for you on the cross. And you can receive salvation through repentance, which is turning away from your sins and putting your faith in Jesus, who rose from the dead. And if you do, you will spend eternity with our triune God in heaven forever. And there's no other way to get salvation apart from the mercy and grace and love given to us through Jesus. That is the simplest, clear teaching of Scripture. That is orthodoxy. Heresy simply means incorrect teaching about the core of Christianity. And it's talking about, again, not the secondary issues, but the core issues. We can debate about what to put on this table, but if we take one of the legs out of this table, it will fall. It ceases to be a table. And if we lose any piece of the gospel, then we have a different gospel that doesn't teach correctly about Jesus, and we do not have salvation. If we say that Jesus was not eternally God, then we lose the gospel because we no longer have a representative from God to us. If we say that Jesus was not perfectly man, then we lose the gospel because we lose a representative that can represent us as humans. If we say Jesus wasn't perfect, that he sinned, we lose the gospel because a, a sacrifice was required that was perfect and sinless. If we say that God is not a three-in-one trinity, we lose the gospel because God the Father planned salvation. God the Son came to accomplish salvation. And God the Spirit came to bring us to belief in salvation in our hearts. If we say that there is salvation apart from Jesus, we lose the gospel because Jesus is no longer needed. And if we change the promises of the good news from eternal salvation to something more temporary in here, we lose the gospel. And so orthodoxy has to do with protecting what Scripture clearly teaches about the gospel. And heresy is not the secondary issues that we disagree on. It's the primary things that if we lose, we have no gospel. There's no point in having church. We should just go home. 
So it isn't just that we believe in Jesus, it's that we believe in Jesus rightly. We understand correctly who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. Last week, we looked at Paul's letter to the Corinthians about how you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that in his poverty you might become rich. Grace, relationship through Jesus. But just a few chapters later, he says, listen, but you have to make sure that you get Jesus right. You can't preach another Jesus because then you get a different gospel that does not save. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says this, but I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which we have not received, or a different gospel, which we had, you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. Paul is telling the Corinthians that they should not put up with another presentation of Jesus, with another gospel, because it's not the real gospel. It's not the real Jesus. And they've lost the ability to discern. And notice how he puts it in relational terms. Understanding who Jesus really was is devotion to him. See, a lot of people say, I don't need doctrine and I don't need theology. Just give me relationship with Jesus. Amen. We love Jesus. But then as soon as you ask the question, who's Jesus? Your answer is doctrine and theology. You have to say something. And doctrine simply means teaching. So even if you say you don't need doctrine, you just need to know Jesus, that itself is a doctrine. You can't get away from teaching. You can't get away from doctrinal truths about who Jesus is. And you can't get away from theology because theology just simply means the study of God. As soon as you talk about God, you're doing theology. And so it's important for us that we understand that doctrine and theology matter. We can't just say, I want to love Jesus. We have to actually get to know who Jesus is and what he did and who the scriptures teach that he is. And so as you interact with Christian teaching online, as you go with friends to other churches, don't just watch. Watch out. Don't just watch. Watch out. Be discerning about what you're hearing. Ask the question, is this the true gospel? Is this the real Jesus? Or am I being sold a bill of goods? Is there a gimmick that's clouding away my, my seeing what's really being taught here? So a couple things that I want to point you to. Watch out for teaching that is all about you. Watch out for teaching that's all about this type of teaching is really growing rapidly. And what it does is it puts you on the center stage of the teaching and it filters out the things about God that you do not want to hear and you do not like. And what happens in that is you feel like the teaching is really connecting with you because it's all about you. It connects with your life and with your problems and with your dreams, and that's not bad. But you have to ask the question, did the teaching just connect me, uh, did it just connect with me, or did it also connect me to God and who he really is? There is a difference between a teaching feel like it connected with you, and it truly connecting you to who God is 
in his character and in the gospel. Teaching that connects with you does not mean it connects you to God. There is a difference between words that resonate with your life and words that tell you about who God really is. Before we started this church, I visited a lot of other churches and um, I, I was, it was a challenging time. I think this was at the time when Virginia was still in Memphis and with the girls and I was down here kind of starting things. And I went, and I went to another church and um, had really great music. And then the pastor started preaching and he was preaching on this passage um, that Paul wrote to, I believe it's Timothy, where it says, fight the good fight. And I just really connected with the teaching. Um, I connected with the teaching uh, because I was going through a fight, and he, the pastor, was saying, like, don't quit, just keep at it, God's on your side, and, like, and in the middle of that, I started to weep, because it just really connected with me, and it really resonated with me, and I felt encouraged, and I went home and decided to just research a little bit more of that passage, and what had not been clear in the sermon was that it wasn't just fighting the good fight. It was fighting the good fight of faith. And that word faith had not been emphasized in the sermon. And so I went and I looked back at that scripture, and what, what Paul is writing is he's encouraging a young pastor. He says, beware of the love of money. He said, beware of all kinds of evil, because some people have ruined their faith. Flee from anything that would go against God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And so this, this fighting the good fight wasn't just any battle. It was the battle of learning how to walk with Jesus in a world that is not following Jesus. I have connected so well with the sermon because he was speaking language that connected with me, but he had failed to connect me with who God actually was. Like, I, I, I felt like God was with me, but he wasn't clear on how I was supposed to be with God. I understood who God was in my trials, but I didn't understand who God was calling to be, me to be in my trials because he had connected with me, but he had not connected me to God. He had taught me to fight the good fight, but not said fight the good fight of faith as a follower of Jesus. And I was so surprised because I'd had an emotional reaction, but I learned something that day. The reason it resonated with me was because it connected with my life, but it had not connected me with God. And so you have to be so careful because you can be touched emotionally, but still deceived. You can be incredibly inspired, but not get God's perspective. You can be moved in your soul, but that's simply because the teaching is all about you. That's simply because the teaching is all about you. In 2 Timothy 4, with this passage that's already up there, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. That's what he's supposed to do in preaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply or gather teachers around them because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. 
they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul is telling Timothy, beware the gimmick of teaching that is all about you. There is a pastor on this film, American Gospel, who said this, see, the cross to me isn't the revelation of my sin. The cross to me is the revealing of my value. That sounds good, but it's not true. Because the Bible doesn't say that. We don't get to tell God what the cross means to us. He gets to tell us what the cross means to us. That's you-centered teaching. We don't get to say, what, is, what do we want the cross to mean? It means something that God says it means, and we're to respond to that. See, you-centered teaching is inspiring, it's touching, it's moving, because you've been moved by the wrong thing. In fact, it could be that the teaching has left out a difficult part of God, and that's why you resonate with it. That's why you resonate with it. It leaves out the hard parts of God. It never touches the gift, the difficult things in God's word. And you might actually like it because it's not about God, and it's all about you. So you have to be so discerning about teaching that is all about you. But you also have to be discerning and watch out for teaching that is all about prosperity. Watch out for teaching that's all about prosperity. God loves you. He's with you in whatever situation you're in. But God's goal for your life is not health, wealth, and happiness. His goal for your life is for you to follow Jesus and become more like him and spend eternity with him in the riches of heaven. And what's been raised up in the past decades is this idea of the prosperity gospel, which says if you follow Jesus, you will be healthy, you will be wealthy, and you will be happy. Who wants that? I want that. I'm going to raise my hand before any of you because I want to be healthy, I want to be wealthy, and I want to be happy. But the Bible never promises that. In fact, I don't even think there's a good example of that in the scriptures. Jesus suffered. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul, we believe from church tradition, was beheaded. John, the apostle, was banished and died in exile. In fact, back to Paul, he had so many beatings and sufferings and hard things happen to him that the Corinthian church was like, man, I don't even think you're legit, Paul. Because no one should have that much trouble and hardship if they're really following God. And Paul's like, no, this is what it means to follow Jesus. We follow him into his sufferings in order that once we go to heaven, we might be raised in glory. And the answer is health, wealth, and happiness is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel isn't that God gives you stuff. The gospel is that through Jesus, you get God. You get God through the gospel. God is with you. When your friends abandon you because of Jesus, the Holy Spirit still dwells in you. When you're weak, God is with you and makes you strong. The gospel is not that through Jesus you get stuff. The gospel is that through Jesus you get God no matter what you face in this life. And so the prosperity gospel, while it sounds good, It just isn't biblical. I mentioned the film, The American Gospel, and I think that it's going to be an incredibly helpful tool for us 
to discern what's not the gospel and what is the gospel. We're going to be playing that on Wednesday night. Um, I'm going to play a short clip from it, but let me encourage you not to yell amen because there's a mixture of people who are not preaching truth with people who are preaching truth. And it's meant to stir your thoughts so that you are going, which one is true and which one is not. Carlos, if you go ahead and play that and turn the volume up a little bit for me. Thank you. You know, God wants you healthy. I'm talking about your money. I broke the back of poverty with a $1,000 seed. I am blessed. I am prosperous. Your words will become your reality. When you name it and you claim it and it still doesn't happen, what am I doing wrong, God? I felt like I was walking on eggshells all the time because it felt as if at any moment I can go to hell because I'm not doing enough. You know what the Bible tells Christians to do? Examine yourself. Are you coming to God for God? Or are you coming to God so that you can ultimately get what your heart's truly after and that's something else? You can grow up in the church, hear a gospel about freedom, and still work your tail off trying to maintain the image that you're a good person. 99.9% .9 of people are not bad people. They may make poor choices, but deep down, they've got a good heart. And my wife looked back at me and she said, why are you yelling at the television? And I said, because that's not the whole gospel. Following Christ is not about this list of things you need to go do for Him. Following Christ is about this sense of awe over what He's done for you. That when you come in contact with Him, you change. And when the heart changes, everything changes. Wow, like Jesus died for my sins? That's so convenient for me. I don't have to go to hell, but I'm going to go do my own thing, <laughs> which is not the gospel at all. What do you think happens when we die? We're going to be fine. If hell didn't exist, neither would this ministry. Seriously, I would be out surfing. I'd have long hair, just living for myself, but I can't. You, you don't want to burn, do you? Right. Which, like, if that's the best message you have, that's just a crap message. The answer for being unloving is not to be overtolerant. That's not the right answer. Welcome to real Christianity. The origins of the prosperity gospel are not Christian at all. It is cultic theology that has been wrapped in some Christian lingo. You've been accused of getting the gospel wrong. It's a damnable heresy that hurts people and sends them to hell. People ain't worrying about no blood on no cross. They're worrying about how they're going to make it through the day. Is this gospel, is this good news primarily about you? I am a victor, not a victim. I'm going to live a long, productive, faith-filled life. Or is this a message about God? The cross embodies both the wrath and the love of God. We see that as a contradiction, and yet God doesn't. The cost of accepting the gospel could be your family. The people you love most in the world, you must love Jesus more. But it's worth it. I opened that word, and nothing was ever the same. Go make disciples. That is the call of every believer. I've got to share this news. If I want to believe God for a $65 million plane, you cannot stop me. Christianity has been built and has carried through the generations on the blood of men, not on the wealth. How can I just continue to live my life as if this isn't true? So I abandoned my version of the American dream, and I said, I will do what I can to take the gospel to the nations. That clip is really sobering, and maybe you've been challenged to re-examine someone you're following, but let me point you to those men that were kneeling down in their jumpsuits. 
Those were Egyptian Christians who were about to be beheaded for their faith. And they had an opportunity to recant their faith, and they did not. Health, wealth, and prosperity, or following Jesus, brings trials and hardships. But in that, you get God. Let me tell you, be careful. Watch out for teaching. Watch out for teaching that's all about you or teaching that's all about prosperity. Some of the things that blind us to these deviations from Christianity are the gimmicks. We have to watch out for the false teaching, but the gimmicks are the things that blind us. And so let me point out a few gimmicks to you that you need to be careful about. Uh, be careful about the teacher's gift. Be careful about the teacher's gift because the reality is as a pastor, uh, all of us here have a spiritual gift. I have a spiritual gift. You have a spiritual gift. And in that sense, as a pastor, I'm no different than you. God can take away a gift. He can add a gift. It's not mine. It's his. But what happens often is a gift gets elevated so that person then doesn't become part of the body of Christ. They become king of the church. And then what happens is when their gift is exceptional, people start to give them a pass on some of the basic things on, in Christianity. So look, you cannot overlook a pastor who has an affair on his wife. You cannot overlook a pastor who is greedy because they have a gift that does not give them a pass. And that is very clear in the book of Timothy and Titus. I know some of you have been taught, touch not God's anointed. That is a verse taken out of context. And what's super clear in the book of Timothy and Titus is that as pastors, we are called to a very high standard of morality and accountability. And I would ask that you pray for me for that. So don't elevate the teacher's gift. Watch out for the gimmick of the gift, but also watch out for the gimmick of the teacher's power. Watch out for the gimmick of the teacher's power. The Bible teaches that God does miracles, and the Bible teaches that God does miracles through people. God can do whatever he wants. He can heal whoever he wants. He can, he can display his power through anybody. But you have to be careful about a teacher who has spiritual power because just because they have spiritual power does not mean that spiritual power came from Jesus. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this, false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform not small signs, but great signs and wonders. Why? To lead astray. If possible, even the elect. Take note, Jesus says to his disciples, I have told you in advance. One of the things that I love about people who pray for miracles is there is a sense of expectancy. And I love that. They believe that at any moment, God could act. And I think we should let that energize our own faith because so often we disregard miracles, right? God isn't going to do it, so we're not going to pray for it. No, we should have great hope in God's power. At the same time, we should be careful about someone who emphasizes their spiritual power as a teacher. Because there are new waves of teachers and teachings that emphasize their spiritual power. They emphasize signs and wonders. And just because someone has spiritual power does not mean that their spiritual power came from Jesus. So how do you know? Well, if the signs and wonders become more important than Jesus, that is trouble. 
Throughout the book of John, there are signs and wonders done, but those are all to point people to Jesus. And when miracles become more important than the gospel, that is a problem. Or when miracles are done, yet the gospel's not correct, that is a problem. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. If someone appears to be godly but does not get the gospel, they're not from Jesus. That is how we know. It doesn't matter if they have new doctrines or exciting special teachings or if they show miracles and signs and wonders. If they distort the gospel, they are leading you away from Jesus. Watch out for the teacher with special power. But also watch out for the gimmick of the teacher's style. When Paul preached the gospel to the Corinthians, he purposefully did not come with eloquent speech, and he purposely did not follow the public speaking norms of his day because he didn't want it to be about his style. He wanted it to be about his substance of the gospel. Don't evaluate teaching by the presentation alone, but by the content as well. People can be passionate, They can be creative but incorrect. They can be deeply sincere but far away from the real Jesus. People will hear someone teach and they like the way they teach and they say they're sincere. But sincerity is a poor evaluator of what's true. Charles Spurgeon said this, if you sincerely drink poison, it will kill you. If you sincerely cut your throat, you will die. If you sincerely believe a lie, you will suffer the consequences. You must not only be sincere, you must be right. Sincerity is important. No one wants to hear something from a fake person. But sincerity does not equal getting the gospel correct. Now, I know that this sermon has brought up a lot of questions. And some of you say, John, aren't we all on Team Jesus? Aren't we really all in it with the Lord and you're emphasizing something a little different? And that video kind of calls out some people. I mean, aren't we we all on team Jesus together? Let me end by answering that question with the question. To be on team Jesus, you have to have the right presentation of Jesus. If you get Jesus wrong, if you say he's someone he's not, if you say he did something he didn't, you were not on team Jesus. To be on team Jesus, you have to present Jesus correctly. But then you also have to focus on Jesus. You have to focus on Jesus. And sometimes I worry that churches focus on a whole lot of different things, and it's exciting, and there's pep rallies, and they kind of slap Jesus on it, but they're not really focusing on Jesus. They're not focusing on what he did on the cross. They're not focusing on his teachings. They're not focusing on discipleship in Jesus They're just throwing the name of Jesus out there to get everyone riled up. Vadi Bacham critiques the modern church and says, the modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. We have to help people fall deeper in love with Jesus by teaching them who Jesus was and teaching what Jesus taught. And so to be on team Jesus, we have to focus on Jesus. But then lastly, We have to at least mention Jesus. Last summer, 
the most popular sermon on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube and you just enter sermon, at last summer, the, the most popular sermon, the one that would pop up first, had 3.1 million views. And in the opening prayer of that sermon, the pastor prayed in Jesus' name. And in the closing prayer of that sermon, he mentioned Jesus. And during the entire sermon that had 3.1 million views, that was the top sermon on YouTube, Jesus was not mentioned. To be on Team Jesus, you have to at least mention Jesus. If we're on Team Jesus, then we preach Jesus. That's our goal. When we gather to worship King Jesus here, we're compelled to talk about the cross and our king and his kingdom. If we talk about giving like we did last week, it's giving based on the generosity of Jesus. If we talk about relationships, it's based on how Jesus relates to us with love and grace. And if we dream about the good life, it's not what I think the good life is. It's what Jesus tells me it is. We're not perfect here, but our goal in this church is to present Jesus to you each and every week. In all his beauty and in all his truth and in all his glory. And we don't want to put any gimmicks in the way of you seeing him. When you see him as he is, you don't need any gimmicks. Because you see that Jesus, full of grace and truth, has died for a sinner like you. And you just want more and more and more of him in your life. And the true Jesus, the good news of the real gospel is that Jesus fully gives himself to sinners. And that's what this table represents here. No gimmicks, just Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. It was his body, but he gave it away in love. It was his body, but he allowed it to be broken and sacrificed for you and me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Friends, to be part of Jesus, the real Jesus, the real good news of Jesus, it's not about being perfect. It's about admitting who you really are. And the amazing thing is that when we come to him, he accepts us as we are and he changes us because of the power of his cleansing blood. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And if you're here this morning and you say, that's the Jesus I need, that's the Jesus I want, then he's yours. You come to him by faith and repentance, just as you did the first time you came to him, and he'll welcome you. And he'll call you beloved.